The following teaching is brought to you by Crosspoint Church. For sermon notes and other resources, visit go to crosspoint.com. So before we jump into this remarkable story, I don't want to move forward before we take a moment to just pray over our time together. So would you join me real quick, please? Jesus, we, we come before you tonight, and we just want to sit back, Lord, and I pray for whatever distractions that any of us have walked in here with tonight, Lord. Whatever things we're struggling with, I ask that you would just help us to put those things aside for this next 45 minutes. Lord, that we would just listen intently to whatever it is that you have for us. Jesus, we lift up your holy name, and it's for your glory. Amen. So, for those of you that I haven't had the pleasure of meeting, my name is Justin. I am the student ministries director here at Crosspoint for our middle school and high school students. Um, Fun fact about me, I love movies. I have been a film geek since I was young. My dad and I used to watch all the old classic 80s and 90s action and comedy films, like all the old Harrison Ford action movies. Man, those are some of my favorite, just classic films. Uh, And I just started to nerd out over this. My dad and I, you could throw us into a room and we just start, we're those people that we start quoting a movie, just back and forth, like those annoying people that you probably know, and we just don't stop, and people are like, okay, are we done? Can we stop quoting this movie? Uh, And recently, I went back to watch one of my favorite films of all time, and that's called Inception with Leonardo DiCaprio. Anyone seen Inception? Man, that's a phenomenal movie. I love Leo, I love Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy's one of my favorite actors, and so you've you've got this movie that's got a fantastic cast, Uh, And it's got one of the most unique plots, I I mean, ever. It's fantastic. And so I'm not going to spoil too much for you, but if you haven't seen Inception, uh, I'm going to try and explain it the best way I can because it's a little bit complicated. So Leo, Leonardo DiCaprio, we're going to call him Leo. That's that's what we call Leo. Leo is a contract thief who specializes in stealing valuable information from people in power. So business CEOs, right? and this is what he's good at. So him and his team, they go and find these people and they put them to sleep. And they, u- they, they do this through the use of dream technology. Okay, this is how they steal informa- information. It's called dream technology. And so they go and find these people, they put them to sleep, and then they go inside of their dream and they go and they find this information through their subconscious and they steal it that way. And it's, it's remarkable. Um, but the, the kicker with this movie is that Leo gets offered a job to not steal information, but rather to plant an idea in somebody else's head. It's this idea of incepting this idea into someone's head while making them believe that they, can, they, may, they thought that idea themselves. One of the characters says that it's impossible. You can't do it. It can't be done. He says, if I tell you not to think about pink elephants, what do you think about? Pink elephants, right? And he said, it can't be done. But Leo had actually already done it before one time. And I'm not going to spoil the movie for you. It came out in like 2009, so if you haven't seen it, go watch it. It's great. But this movie is full of just unexpected twists and turns and all sorts of things. And I love a good thriller that just catches you off guard. Uh, And I've probably seen Inception 10 to 15 times now at this point in my life. And even watching it the other night, I still picked up on things that I had missed because it's one of those movies that you can't just watch it one time. You're not going to understand what happened. You have to go back and watch it again and then again. And then you're like, oh, okay, I get it now. I'm starting to get it. I'm still getting things out of that movie as I watch it. And to say all of that, Crosspoint, is that I want to encourage and challenge each of you tonight that are here in this room. I don't know what your expectations were coming in tonight, this weekend. I don't know what 2022 has held for you. 
Maybe you've been coming to church your entire life, and this Christmas story that we're about to talk about, you've heard it a hundred times. You know it like the back of your hand. Maybe you're sitting here like, all right, it's the same story. It's the same Jesus story. Maybe there's something that you've missed. Maybe there's something that God wants you to hear tonight that you missed in that story. So let's put aside our expectations and let's listen and see what it is that God has for us. And so as Beth already shared some scripture for us, she talked to us about a specific group of people and the the title for this message tonight, it's the unexpected places that this message about the newborn Messiah was given to. And specifically the people in those places that God chose to reveal this sign about the coming Messiah to. Um, And there's two groups of people that we're going to talk about tonight. Uh, One of those is the shepherds, which we just read, and the other, which you probably know, is the wise men. And and as we we talk about this story, we're going to realize that what this Christmas story does is it so wonderfully shows us how our God works, and that it's often in ways that we least expect. And so the big question that comes up when we talk about the shepherds and we talk about the wise men is, why did God choose these people? Why did he choose them to receive this sign? And so I want to take us now to this first scene, this first place, outside of Bethlehem, in the fields, with the shepherds that are watching over their sheep. And I don't know if you know what shepherds do, but they watch their sheep. Uh, If you spend enough time around sheep, you start to smell like them. Shepherds probably were not the, not, they didn't probably smell the best, Okay, a few other things about shepherds, in case you didn't know. Um, most of them were uneducated. It's, it's likely that these shepherds would have been illiterate. When the angels came, they probably didn't know how to read. They, they did not have a lot of education. Most shepherds were outliers, outcasts of society. Um, and it's actually noted that during this time, shepherds, their testimony was actually not accepted in court. They were not really trusted people. That in a court, their, their testimony just wasn't valid. Now, it's argued that these shepherds that we're talking about in this story, it's been argued that these may not have been the real outlier, outlying shepherds, that these may have been the shepherds that were watching over the temple flock. Um, and so they may have had a slightly elevated socioeconomic status uh, in the eyes of the leading priests. Um, but at the end of the day, they were still shepherds. They were still stinky shepherds hanging out with sheep. But what we see throughout Scripture is that shepherds actually hold a really special place in God's heart. All throughout Scripture, they hold a special place in His heart. And, and I, I think back to Samuel, right? And who succeeded Saul as the second king of Israel? This young shepherd named David, right? This young shepherd. The New Testament goes on to call Jesus the good shepherd, right? And so we get this idea of shepherds all over. Jesus tells stories and parables about how shepherds would leave their, the, the shepherd leaves his sheep to go after the one, right? We've heard these stories about shepherds. And it reinforces, it re, this reinforces an idea that's presented to us all throughout Scripture, and I want to share it for you guys. It comes from 1 Samuel chapter 16. This is when uh, the Lord commands uh, Samuel to go to Jesse in Bethlehem and to find the next king that would succeed Saul. And, and as he arrives, he sees Jesse's first son, and he's like, that's got to be him. This has to be the Lord's anointed. But God says in verse 7, 1 Samuel chapter 16, the Lord said to Samuel, 
Don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Man, I love that verse so much. I love that story about David, and it's, it's so representative of what's God, what God's doing here. He's not looking at the things that we're looking at. He's judging by the heart. And, and so the first, the first thing on your note sheet here, it's going to be one of your fill-in-the-blanks. You guys can fill this in. This is our first point for the night, and it's that God uses those that don't fit the mold. God uses those that don't fit the mold. Why? Why does God choose to use those that don't fit the mold? Well, I'm glad you asked. So if you know me, um, I love to quote C.S. Lewis around here. So here's another one for you tonight. Uh, in, C.S., in Lewis's book, Mere Christianity, he has an entire chapter devoted to what's called the great sin. Anyone read Mere Christianity? The great sin. Does anyone know what the great sin is? Pride. He calls pride the great sin. And this quote's from Lewis. He says, Pride is the utmost evil. Pride leads to every other vice. Get this. This is the best part. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. Pride is the complete anti-God state of mind. What a remarkable statement that is. And so why does God use those that don't fit the mold? Well, he does it to highlight his glory, not ours. He chooses to use those that don't fit the mold to highlight his glory, not ours. Not ours. And and as we see, as Beth shared this story with us in Luke, uh, we see the response that the shepherds had after the angels appeared to them and revealed this message. I love this. What did they say? They said, let's go. Let's go see what has been shared. Let's go and see. And as I was reading this and thinking about this idea, I realized that the shepherds left something incredibly important to go see the Savior that they had been told about. And I don't know if maybe we've just passed over this because we've read the story so many times. Shepherds had a very important job. They looked out for their flock, and it was not easy to look after sheep. There's a lot that we could talk about that that job entails, but two things that I want to share. Obviously, the first thing is that they protected their sheep from predators, right? And there were a lot of predators in the land of Israel at this time. I mean, David fought off a lion. We read that in Samuel, right? He fought off a lion, but there's lepers. There's, there's all sorts of things that shepherds had to look out for for their sheep. And then the second thing that stands out to me, and I, I love this idea, when a sheep goes to lie down, Two things can happen. If the ground is unlevel, or if the sheep has too much wool, it can fall over onto its back into this position called cast down. Okay, it's called cast down. What happens when a sheep goes into this position, cast down, it's very hard for them to get back up out of it. Very hard. And what happens with the way that they, that, that they were biologically made, their stomach, gas starts to trap in their stomach, and if they're not righted in a certain amount of time, they can suffocate. And so shepherds had a very, very important job to look after their sheep. It was not just looking. It was helping them up when they fall. It was protecting from predators and a multitude of other things. But they said, let's go and see, what's, and see for ourselves. And, and granted, the passage doesn't tell us here whether they just ran off from their flock or if they entrusted somebody else into their care. But regardless of the fact, They left something important to go meet Jesus. And I think that oftentimes, 
for us, <laughs> it's not that easy to put aside the important things in our lives to encounter and meet Jesus. We have jobs, we have lives, we have families. Oftentimes it's hard to put those things aside to go see who Jesus is. And then I think about when we recognize just how significant and awesome Jesus is, that we can take that step back from our busy, important lives for even just a moment, just for a moment to commune with him, you guys. When we realize how significant and awesome he actually is. And then after the shepherds had seen Jesus, it says that they went and they told everyone what they had heard and that everyone was astonished by their story. And I love this idea, guys. This isn't a main point, but I wanted to share it with you guys because it's so good. It's so good. If the illiterate and uneducated shepherds have the boldness to go and share Jesus with everyone that they, that they saw, we have no excuse. <laughs> I mean, can can we just be honest? We have no excuse. If we can read the Bible, if we, and and this is the best part, guys. I heard a pastor say once, God loves to use people that can't read, like that really can't read. Why? Because it goes back to this idea. It's to highlight his glory, not ours. So what excuse do we have? And it says that they shared what they had seen. Let that be a reminder for us. You don't need to have studied and mastered scripture. You don't need to have been to seminary. You don't need to have any other qualifications except to tell people what Jesus has done in your life. That's it. That's it. They told everyone what they had seen. It's that simple. Do we have that kind of response that the shepherds had? Man, we have so much to learn from them. And we could take so much time tonight, but I I don't have that kind of time to continue to talk through this story of the shepherds. I wish that I did. But I want to take a moment now to bring us to the second scene. And I'm going to, the verses are going to be up on the screen, but you guys can flip there with me. It comes from Matthew chapter 2. And we're going to read about the second place that this message was shared and the people that it was shared to. Matthew chapter 2, starting at verse 1. I'm going to read it for you guys. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd, there we go again, the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way, And the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. And so we, we're, we're transported now 
to the second scene with these wise men, and that's not their actual name, that's what they're referred to. Their actual classification were magi, and you've probably heard that before. Uh, A few things about magi, most of them were very rich, most of them were very smart. Um, They studied astronomy, which was actually considered a field of science during this time, which I read, which is, so they were scientists, right? Very smart people. Some of them dabbled in the arts of magic and sorcery, Right? And so we have lots of names that we can call this group of people. Uh, magi, sorcerers, wise men, whatever you want to go with. But in reality, when we really think about these people, we realize that they really had no business traveling that far to go see a baby. I mean, am I right? They, they had no business doing this. And so the big question that comes up when, when people study the Magi is, why did they go and how did they know? Why did they go and how did they know? And so scholars over the years have suggested that it's likely that these magi were associated with Babylon, especially during the time of the exile of the Jews, as we go back to the the story of Daniel when the Jews were exiled, stripped away from their homeland, stripped away from their families and everything they knew, and Daniel and his friends as well, and held captive in Babylon. And in Daniel chapter 2, verse 48, uh, if you don't know Daniel, he was given this gift of interpreting dreams for King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. And so as he did this, he was elevated into a position of higher status. And so in Daniel chapter 2, verse 48, it says, Then the king appointed Daniel to a high position and gave him many valuable gifts. He made Daniel ruler over the whole province of Babylon, as well as chief over all his wise men, chief over all his magi. And if you know a thing or two about Daniel, you know that Daniel was incredibly obedient to following God. And so you can imagine here what this story is suggesting is that these magi that were put under the charge and command of Daniel probably learned a thing or two about the God of Israel. And so really the question is how did they know? Well, they knew the prophecy that talked about the coming Messiah. They had to know something about the God of Israel. And then, this is, this is great. When you look at this, this idea of using these magi from a cultural standpoint, Matthew's writing primarily to a Jewish audience here. Can you imagine how they would feel hearing that the Babylonians, and, the, and being remembered of that time of the exile of their, of their ancestors, that God wants to use these people to receive the sign about the Messiah? I mean, that's bizarre when we look at that. That's really bizarre. But Matthew's trying to highlight such an important truth for us, you guys. Jesus is not just reserved for the people that we like. What about our distant enemies? What about those people that held my ancestors captive for years? Them? I mean, they're flipping everything upside down here. God is completely operating in an unexpected manner. And see, we read the story year after year, and we say, okay, yeah. But when we look at this in their shoes, we realize how crazy and bizarre this actually is. The second point on your, note, on your note sheet, and you can write this down, is that God uses those that are far from him. 
God uses those that are far from him. And this isn't just with the Magi coming from these eastern lands. This is all throughout scripture. Can we talk about Paul for a second? I mean, the guy that was imprisoning and killing Christians, thinking that it was in the name of Jesus? Like, if God can use Paul, God can use anybody. God loves to use people that are far from him. And again, we circle back to this idea. It's for his glory, not for ours. And to teach us that the message isn't reserved for just you. Do you believe that Jesus can be used, or that those people can be used by Jesus? Maybe the people that you don't like, the people that you have a hard time with, the people at work that frustrate you, someone that's really hurt you. I mean, are we going too far? Can we be honest? Do we believe that those people can be used by Jesus? Because see, I think about Ananias, who was called by Jesus to heal Paul. That's kind of a weird story. I don't know if I want to be around Paul. He's, he's imprisoning my, pe- my friends, my brothers, my sisters. And Jesus says, no, I want you to heal him. Do we believe that God, do we believe that these people can be used by God? Sorry, I get excited about these things. But then notice how awesome God is here, guys. It just gets better and better. What do astronomers study? The stars. What was the sign that God used to lead the Magi to Jerusalem? A star. How crazy is that? And this isn't just a coincidence. This comes from Old Testament prophecy. This comes from Numbers chapter 24. I'm going to read it to you guys. Verse 17. Oh, wait, no, sorry. Where is it? That was one page over. Numbers 24, verse 17. I see him, but not here and now. I perceive him, but far in the distant future. A star will rise from Jacob. A scepter will emerge from Israel. This was the sign that God knew far in advance about the coming Messiah. And who did he use? The exact people that he intended to use. And what did he use? He, he met these people right where they were at. With, in, in the midst of all of their ignorance and their sin and whatever, he met them with a sign that they would understand. He met them right where they were at. So yes, God loves to use people that are far from him. And it, this story just continues to reiterate that for us, you guys. He met them right where they were at and led them to come and see Jesus. Gosh, I just love that. We have two big things as we finish talking about these two groups of people that I think that we can learn from them. These are the next two points on your note sheet, and you can write both of these down. You don't have to have it all together before meeting Jesus, and you don't have to know everything to be used by Jesus. Can I just say that again for an encouragement for you guys? You don't have to have it all together before meeting Jesus. And you don't have to know everything to be used by Jesus. This is exactly what we learn from these two groups of people. And a multitude more. But these characters are meant to be an encouragement for you and I. Who do you relate with here? Do you feel like these shepherds who are the outcasts and outliers of society, nothing to really offer, or these wise men that were far east of God and met them right where they were at, right in the middle of their sin and their ignorance. 
looking for God in all the wrong places. And as I climb into these, these character shoes, I can't help but think what their expectations might have been for their lives, about God. I mean, picture these angels approaching the shepherds. Imagine how they felt after that moment as they're en route to Bethlehem to go see, why would God choose us? What's happening right now? And I love to do this. I love to just get in the story and try and see how these people were feeling because I think that far too often we, we read these stories like the characters kind of just pop up on the page once we read about them and then they're gone. We forget that they were real people with real emotions, real expectations about God just like you and I have. And as I think about their expectations, I start to reflect on mine. What are, my, what, what are my expectations for God? What are my expectations for my life? And so as I thought about this, I, I, I said, what were my expectations before I met Jesus? When I was in their shoes, before meeting Jesus, what was it like? So I have a lot of thoughts to share with you guys about this, but growing up, I had two significant things about me, two unique things. One, I was very short. I didn't hit five foot till I was a sophomore in high school. I was very, very short. The second thing, I grew up with a skin disease called ichthyosis vulgaris. I get these gross, like, scaly patches all over my skin, and it's nasty, and it's, especially during the wintertime, I get all dry. And so these were two things that really stood out about me growing up. And so I was subject to a lot of, uh, a lot of bullying back then growing up, a lot of feeling insignificant, feeling like I didn't hold a lot of value, feeling like I wasn't seen by people. And so I related a lot with the shepherds, I feel like, a little bit here in this story. Kind of outliers, right? not feeling like I had anything to contribute or offer God. And then another thing that I realized, an expectation that I carried, and maybe you can relate with this, growing up I feel like I always heard people tell me, well the Bible's just a bunch of rules. God just wants you to follow a bunch of rules. But I hadn't actually opened up the Bible to see if that was true or not. And you know what's funny when I actually did? I realized that that wasn't true. How foolish of me to carry this expectation when I hadn't actually gone to see for myself. And so, I don't know what kind of expectations you've walked in here with tonight, you guys. But we saw that these people went to go see Jesus for themselves. And I wish that I had, I had done that sooner before I started to form these expectations about God. These expectations that I can't contribute, that I have nothing to offer. And we'll get to that soon because part of that's true. But maybe you feel like me where you feel like you can't be used by God. But then we see here in the story that he so deeply desires to use you and I just like the shepherds. Even though they'd been discredited and invalidated by society, viewed the way they were, right? People probably didn't want to be around them too much. But God used them in a mighty way. Pastor Steve remind me of a, reminded me of a passage here that I love, and I want to share it with you guys. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 26, verse 26, Paul says, Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes, or powerful or wealthy, when God called you. Instead, God chose those things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. 
and he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. Did we not just see that in this Christmas story with these groups of people? Again, God uses us to highlight his glory, not ours. Another thing I realized is that from a very early age, probably from the time that we're born, most of the way the world works is transactional. And so what I mean from that, by that is work, for example. You want money? You're going to work for it. You want to get paid? You got to work for it. Relationships. You get out what you put into it, right? Relationships are a two-way street. We love to use that one, right? Everything is sort of transactional. Nothing really comes for free. But then we see how, again, God flips everything upside down in this story, and that this is the last, it's not transactional. It's the farthest thing from it. God is calling these people who have nothing to offer, the wise men who think they have something to offer with their gifts and with their wisdom, but in reality, they have nothing. But God calls them anyway. God calls them in a communion with Jesus to meet him anyway. As much as these characters that we've read about tonight are meant to be an encouragement for us, people that I think we can relate with on some level and maybe see what our expectations are, they also show us something very important about another group of people that I didn't mention in this story. When the Magi arrived in Jerusalem, when the people of Jerusalem, along with King Herod, had heard what they had said, they were so bothered by this idea. This is the third group of people that I want to share with you guys. It, we are so used to this story. We're so used to it. But a reason why this story is so unexpected, especially for the people reading this in the first century, you guys, is this. Remember we talked a little bit ago about the great sin? What's the great sin? Pride, right? For centuries up until this point, God's chosen people, that he chose his Jewish people for his glory, had missed the point. They missed the entire reason that God chose them to begin with. They had been filled with pride, and in their pride and their misunderstanding of why God chose them, it led, to, it led them to think along the lines of something like this. God chose us, so this is for us. God chose us, so this message is for us. But the most significant announcement in human history was not announced in a temple where you'd think it would be, or in a palace, or with an elite group of people, or to the leading priests. It was, it was announced to the most unlikely places, to the most unlikely people. And again, I said that those people were meant to be an encouragement for you, but guess what? It was also meant to show these people something. And I want to read it for you guys. It comes out of Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 and 3. Verses 1 to 3. This is awesome. The Lord said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. 
I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. This last part is great. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. Why was, what was the whole reason God chose them? For the sake of others. But they had missed that point for so long. And so what God's doing here is for our benefit, but to these people, he's trying to highlight such an important truth. This message wasn't just meant for you. And I'm gonna show you that by giving the science to these people. And you're gonna realize that I'm doing something different that you didn't expect here. God wants to use you for the sake of others, just like, he wanted to choose, just like he wanted to use the Israelites for the sake of everyone else. He wants to use you and I for the sake of everybody else around us. So what that means for us, Crosspoint, is that when we gather here mid-December every year to talk about this Christmas message, message to talk about the newborn King, the Messiah, what that means for us is that this message wasn't intended to just stay here inside the walls of this church. It was intended to go out. It was intended to go out just like the shepherds had gone and shared it with everyone that they met. That we would follow in the footsteps of those stinky shepherds and do the same. What are your expectations for being here tonight, Crosspoint? Is it to come and hear a good Christmas message? I'm sorry, but that's just not the point. It's not. But we can get so used to and accustomed to this story that we miss what God's trying to do here. And it's so significant. He wants to encourage us and convict us and help us relate with these people, but also highlight these truths that we would take this message and share it with the rest of the world. Our worship team's gonna start making their way up, but I, I have some more that I wanna share for you guys, so stay with me as people are coming up on stage here in a few minutes. Where are you at tonight, December 10th, 2022? What's the year held for you? What's brought you to sit where you're sitting right now? Do you feel far east of God like the Magi were when he met them? and encountered them? Maybe Jesus has just been the last thing on your mind with everything that you've been wrapped up with this year, with everything that you've had going on, that this feels like the last place that you should be sitting right now. Maybe for you the question is, not like the Israelites of why them, but it's, it's why me? Why would God want to use me? What do, I, what, what do I have? I have nothing to offer. I have nothing to contribute. I feel just like these shepherds. Yeah, you're 100% right. You do have nothing to offer. I want to let you know how true that is right now. And again, that reminds us that what? God uses us to highlight his glory, not ours. It reminds me of the interaction between Paul and God in 2 Corinthians Paul says that I was given a thorn in my side, something to keep me from becoming proud, this idea that we've talked about with pride, something to keep me from becoming proud. And God's response as Paul begs the Lord to take this thorn from him, God says, my grace is sufficient 
But not only that, my power works best in weakness. His power works best when you have nothing to offer him, cross point. When you humble yourself before the Lord and say, I have nothing to offer. It's not about what qualifications I carry. It's not about how much of the Bible that I've studied. Humble yourself before him and not keep the message to yourself, but to share this wonderful message about the newborn king, the coming Messiah, with everyone that you see so that they would come and experience what you've experienced and and see what you've seen. And the best part about this story tonight, you guys, is that I don't have to know what you walked in here with. I don't have to know what your story is to tell you with 100% certainty that this message was reserved for you. It just doesn't matter. He's extended the invitation to each one of us tonight. And I don't know what the sign is for you. Maybe it was a word that was spoken tonight. But he's extended the invitation for us to go and meet with him. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to put aside maybe some of the things in your life that are important, like the shepherds did, to go and commune with Jesus? Regardless of why you're here today, and this is my favorite part, as both of these stories wrap up about these people that went to go meet Jesus, they both had very different reasons for going, but they had the same exact response when they met him, and that was worship. They bowed and they worshiped him. So I want to challenge each of you tonight that let's just put aside our expectations. Let's put aside all of it and that we would just worship Jesus for who he is and what he would eventually go to do for us. We're going to take this time now to sing some songs to Jesus and about Jesus and worship him to highlight his glory, not ours. Our prayer team is going to be in the back of the house during this time. If you need to talk to them about something, if you need prayer for anything that's going on in your life, I would love to just ask you to go back there and talk with them. They would love to pray for you. They're a fantastic team. I love those people so much. They have so much to offer you, so please go talk to them. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to worship. Jesus, Would you let this story tonight just be a reminder for us, Lord, a simple reminder that we have nothing to offer. And that as we recognize that fact, that we would just take this time to worship and glorify you and you alone. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. For more resources, check out go to crosspoint.com.